Proverbs, and this morning we will look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Proverbs 3, beginning at verse 1, this is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we now want to ask that your word will go forth with great power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You'll notice that verse 1 begins with the address, my son. And then we also see it again in Verse 11, we read, my son, uh, King Solomon is writing to his son, but I also want you to see that this is your heavenly father writing to you. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 is quoted in Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6, and the author of Hebrews applies these verses directly to Christians. In Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 5, we read, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. And just so the ladies do not think that they are excluded, let me remind you that Galatians 3.26 says that we are all sons through faith in Christ. And the reason why we are all sons through faith in Christ is because the son was the heir of the kingdom. And it's a reminder that men and women together will receive an inheritance. Now, I'm highlighting this because when you read the words, my son, I want you to read this as a word personally and directly to you from your father who is in heaven. Uh, I remember many years ago, now now there was a, a man in our church, and for three weeks in a row, he would come up to me after the service and he would say, Pastor, that message was just for me. Pastor, that message was for me. Pastor, that message was for me. The fourth week, he came up to me and he said, Pastor, this morning the message was for my wife. (laughs) Now, in case you're wondering, uh, the message this morning is for your wife, 
but it is also for you, and it is also for the single people, and it is also for the children. This is a message for all of us. And you might be wondering, and what is the message? I'll make it really clear. The message is God desires to bless you, and he will bless you, number one, by means of prosperity, verses 1 through 10, and he will bless you by means of adversity, verses 11 and 12. So if you're taking notes, it's really simple. Number one, the blessing of prosperity. Number two, the blessing of adversity. So let's begin with the blessing of adversity. Uh, the structure in the first 10 verses is really clear. In the odd verses, 1, 3, 5, 7, and 9, we are given a word of instruction or commands that we are to follow. And then in each of the even verses, 2, 4, 6, 8, that is followed up with a promise of some sort of prosperity. So just really quickly, verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And then the promise for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. And then verse 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And the promise, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And then in verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then the promise, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, let me remind you that while I refer to these as promises. These are actually proverbs, so we need to be careful about interpreting them in a very literal, absolute way. For example, we might consider the great promise in verse 2, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Uh, do godly men and women never die young? Do they always, without exception, live to an old age? They don't. Uh, many of you will recall the story of Jim Elliott, the husband of Elizabeth Elliott. He died at the age of 28 as a missionary, trying to reach the Horanai people of Ecuador. Four other missionaries also died with him at a relatively young age, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, Roger Uderin, and Peter Fleming. They died as martyrs bringing the gospel to a people who had never heard about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. This is what Elizabeth Elliot wrote a little later. For us widows, the question as to why the men who had trusted God to be both shield and defender should be allowed to be speared to death was not one that could be smoothly or finally answered in 1956 nor yet silenced in 1996. God did not answer Job's questions either. Job was living in a mystery, the mystery of the sovereign purpose of God. 
And the question that rose out of the depths of that mystery were answered only by a deeper mystery, that of God himself. God is sovereign, and we have to allow him to bless us as he sees fit. Now, I mention what I think is an appropriate and biblical caveat so that we can avoid the extreme of the prosperity gospel. Because some look at these passages, and they do interpret them in an absolute way, and say that if you trust God, you will always be healthy. You will always be rich. You will always prosper in your life. And I want to say that personally, I find that repulsive. Because what it does is it turns Christians into mercenaries who obey and serve God solely for the benefits of health and wealth that they can get from God. Simply put, many, not all, some people are just deceived by bad teaching, but many who yield to the prosperity gospel are using God to get the stuff that they actually love more than God. They're mercenaries. They are using God to get the possessions of this world. It's uh, interesting. Uh, Satan accused Job of being a mercenary. Uh, this is what we read, and you can turn to Job if you like. I want to look at a few verses here. This is what we read in Job 1, beginning at verse 6. I'm going to give you a little context. This is fascinating. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. So you had the whole angelic army gathering before God, millions and millions of angels and demons. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has in every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand, touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. See what Satan is saying? You bought him off. Of course he fears you. Put this hedge of protection around him and his household. You've blessed all the work of his hands with all these great possessions. That's, that's why he loves you. Verse 12, and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And he did attack Job. He took away almost all of his possessions. And he took away his ten kids, his seven sons, and his three daughters. And how did Job respond? Verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. 
And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Mark this. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Satan said he would curse God to his face. He didn't curse God. He blessed God. And why did he bless God? Because even though he had all these possessions, even though he prospered greatly because of the hand of God, God was his greatest treasure. And God meant more to him than all his possessions and even his children, even though they were precious to him. Now, perhaps a test of that magnitude is not going to come your way. Uh, nevertheless, God will bring different tests into your life. And we find a specific test in verse 9, actually, of this passage. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Now, I want you to notice that word honor. In the Hebrew, it's kabod, and it's the word for glory. We could translate this Glorify the Lord. Glorify Yahweh with your wealth. Kabod, as some of you know, means uh, to treat as weighty. In other words, honor or glorify the Lord means that we treat him as a person of great significance. Sometimes we use the word gravitas. To honor the Lord means to treat him as a weighty, significant person. Ray Ortland says, There is also a Hebrew verb for the opposite of honoring. It means to make light of, to regard as trifling and frivolous. As God looks at your financial priorities, should he consider himself honored or slighted? Everything that is wrong with the world is traceable to this one mega sin, trivializing God. And Solomon says, we need to honor the Lord, glorify the Lord, treat the Lord as somebody significant, somebody who is weighty. Uh, many of you know the Israelites were commanded to give God the best and the first fruits of their crops. In Exodus 23, 19, we read, The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord. So as soon as the crops came in, the very first bundle that they grabbed, they would immediately bring that to the Lord as a way of honoring him. That's the command. And then notice the promise. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And in an agrarian culture, that was a sign of great wealth. To have big barns that were full, to have your vats overflowing with wine. Do you believe that promise? similar to another promise about giving that we find in Malachi 3.10. The Lord says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. When Jesus was tempted, he said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. There's one exception, though. 
And that's the exception right here. God says, put me to the test. There's a challenge. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God says, honor me with your giving and the windows of heaven will open and you will be flooded with blessing. And then verse 12, we read, then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. You will be so blessed, even the nations will realize that you are blessed if, if you honor me with your wealth with your crops. I said this previously, but it bears repeating. In order to experience the blessings of Proverbs, we need faith. When our Heavenly Father speaks to us and he says, sons, if you do this, then I will do that. And the question before us this morning is when we read God's word, do we believe what God is saying. Mm -hmm. Again, we want to be careful not to absolutize these promises, but nevertheless, we do have these promises of great prosperity for people who are obedient to the commands of God. So that's the blessing of prosperity. And then we have the blessing of adversity. The blessing of adversity. Uh, this is what we read in Proverbs 29:15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So what is necessary to grow in wisdom? This verse says two things, not just reproof, not just instruction, but the rod. We need discipline. Uh, we know that our children need discipline. And as we grow up and become adults, guess what? We, too, also need discipline. Not just reproof, but also discipline. Now, we parents who discipline our children, why do we discipline them? Because we're mean? Because we're harsh? Uh, sometimes we are imperfect in our discipline. But if our hearts are in the right place, and I believe the best here, most of our hearts are in the right place, we discipline our children because we love them and we care for them and we want the best for them. And we need to understand that there is a blessing even in adversity. And you might have think, I mistitled that. Wait, the blessing of adversity. How, but it is a blessing. The Bible calls it a blessing. This is what we read in Job 5.17. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. It is a blessing to be disciplined by the Almighty. And I know some of you are going through difficult times. And as you look at your adversity, I want to make sure that you are seeing it through the eyes of Scripture. Some of you are wondering, does God really love me? Would I be experiencing what I'm experiencing if God loved me? Is he, is he angry with me? He, he's not. Notice verse 12 very carefully. For the Lord reproves him whom he what? Loves. 
as a father, the son in whom he what? Delights. We discipline our kids because we love them. We delight in them. We, we want the best for them. And if we who are imperfect have this motive, imagine our perfect father in heaven. Now, there are many reasons for discipline. Let me draw your attention to just three. First of all, God disciplines us for restoration. God disciplines us for restoration. Uh, occasionally, frequently, maybe, we, we turn away because of sin, but then God disciplines us, which causes us to repent, turn back to him so that our re relationship with him can be restored. In Psalm 119, 67, the psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And I wonder how he said that, you know. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now, not, not anymore. Now I keep his word. Now, now I do the best I can to walk in obedience. Psalm 119, uh, 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Are any of you praying for a greater understanding of, of God's word? Uh, that may require affliction, adversity, discipline, but God can use it in a, in a great way. The psalmist says here, because of the affliction, he says, I learned your statutes. This is what Martin Luther said uh, about that verse. He said, I want you know, to know how to study theology in the right way. I have practiced this method myself. Here you will find three rules. They are frequently proposed throughout Psalm 119 and run thus in Latin. Oratorio, meditatio, tentatio. Or in English, prayer, meditation, trial. Want to know how to study God's word? Pray, meditate, experience a trial. He went on to say, for as soon as God's word became known through you, the devil will afflict you, will make a real doctor of you. He's talking about a doctor of theology here. Will make a real doctor of you and will teach you by his temptations to seek and to love God's word. For I myself owe my papists many thanks for so beating, pressing, and frightening me through the devil's raging that they have turned me into a fairly good theologian. I like that. Driving me to a goal I should never have reached. That's what trials will do. They will, they will instruct you. They will teach you so that you turn back to God and you walk according to his commandments. And these disciplines are also good for sanctification. This should be an obvious one. So that you can grow in holiness. That's what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 12, where he cites this verse. We will grow in holiness through the discipline of God. This is what we read about Jesus. Hebrews 5.8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And every time I read that, I think, if Jesus needed suffering from obedience, I wonder what I need 
Do you wonder what you might need if you are to grow in obedience? And of course, for Jesus, he didn't go from disobedience to obedience. Rather, he went from one level of obedience to another. But God used suffering to bring about that obedience in his life. And we know that the father loved his son, Jesus. We know that he delighted in Jesus. So we have to be careful. Again, sometimes we go through trials and, and we think that God is not pleased with us, that he doesn't love us. Perhaps it's the exact opposite. Think of Job. We read through the book of Job and we can't even imagine what he experienced. We should ask this question. Did Job please God? In fact, I think I could make an argument that at the time Job lived, he was the most righteous man on the face of the earth. Remember what we read back in Job 1.8? And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth? If we interpret that literally, there's none like him. There's none like him. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And because he loved Job and delighted in him, he allowed this adversity to come into his life so that he could become even more holy and righteous and godly. So we need, we need trials, we need adversity for restoration, sanctification, and for revelation. For revelation, we might see God like never before. If you turn to the back of Job, and right at the end in 42.5, after he goes through all the trials and God restores his health, blesses him with 10 more children, with many possessions, this is what he says. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I think that's fascinating. What Job is saying is that I have heard of you before. Obviously, he knew who God was. He was walking with God, pleasing God. He says, but now I have seen you like I have never seen you before. He had a revelation of God that would have not come without the trials. Perhaps the greatest blessing that may come through adversity is a glimpse of God's glory that we may not have had before. Uh, if, if you're in your Bible, you can turn to John 11 if you like. John 11, it's a well-known story about the death of Lazarus. We read in John 11:1. 1, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, and then dropping down to verse 3. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I think that was their way of appealing to Jesus. Jesus, the one you, you love, by the way, he is ill, and you know what they want. Please come in a hurry so that you can heal him so that Lazarus doesn't die. And then in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. See the emphasis on the love? He loves this family, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. He, he loves them. Verse 6, so 
when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. It's interesting, in an older version of the NIV, verse 6 begins this way. Uh, he loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus, verse 6. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. The newer version of the NIV has corrected that so that it also reads, so when he heard that was Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days long. What's the point? Because he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he delayed two days. And what would that delay bring about? The death of Lazarus. And what would the death of Lazarus bring about? Heartache for Mary and Martha. And then when Jesus finally came, if I can read between the lines, the sisters say, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Why didn't you come? We know you love us. Why are you allowing this heartache to come into our lives? And there's an answer. Because he wants to show them his glory. And he tells them, didn't I tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. And then in case you don't know the story, Jesus goes to the tomb. And he says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And after four days of being dead, Lazarus walks out of the tomb and they take off the burial clothes. And now, instead of being the recipient of a healing, Lazarus is the recipient of a resurrection. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus now have a revelation of God that they would not have had before. Now think about this. Imagine asking Mary and Martha after the fact, after all this is taking place, having experienced everything you've experienced, if you had, if you had a choice, if, if you had a choice, Jesus could come and not delay and heal your brother so you'd experience the pain, or if Jesus would do it just the way he did it, delay so that he dies, you receive heartache, but you now experience his glory in the resurrection, which would you rather have? I think that's a fascinating question. You know, they would say, we would rather have it the way that you did it so that we could see you in all your glory. And I think that's a microcosm in which we could understand the whole of life. We experience adversity, heartache, pain, sorrow, but a day is coming, and we may have to wait till we get to heaven, but I believe a day is coming when we will be able to say with the Apostle Paul, with great conviction, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. A day is coming when all our suffering will be put in a proper context. Now again, I know some of you are going through difficult situations. You're experiencing adversity. And I want to remind you again, God loves you. God delights in you. God is still sovereign, seated upon his throne, and he has a plan and a purpose for everything that's taking place in your life. This is not whimsical, arbitrary discipline. God is a perfect father. He knows 
what he's doing. He has a blessing in store for you in the adversity. There's a a wonderful story about a woman um, in church who was going through a a difficult time. And and the pastor said to this woman, I I want you to know that I'm I'm praying for you as you go through this trial. And and she said, well, pastor, what are you praying for? And he said the normal things. Well, I'm praying that God is uh, comforting you through this. I'm praying that you find that his grace is sufficient through all that you're going through. And, And then she said, pastor, pray that I don't waste this trial. Pray that I will learn what God wants me to learn through this trial. That, that's wonderful. That's, that's a mature response. And, and maybe that's what some of us could be saying. Lord, I'm going through this. Help me to learn what, what you want me to learn through this. You have good purposes for everything that's taking place in my life. And maybe this morning as you think about the blessing of prosperity and the blessing of adversity. Maybe you just need to be open before God. Say, God, just show me what you have for me in this. I'm leaning on you. I'm, I'm trusting that you're at work in this situation. Let's close in prayer. Father, how thankful we are for your love for us, even your tough love. Thank you that you even delight in us straying children. Father, thank you that you work out all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Father, we believe, I want to ask you to help us in our unbelief. Help us to live according to the promises of Proverbs, but your entire word, knowing that as we do so, you will bless us as you see fit. And help us to have such faith that we can even see that there is a blessing in adversity. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.